Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for every day you give us that we can actually come together, Lord. In one little room you gave us, it's still the church, where your people gather to praise you, to proclaim your word and to pray. We thank you for technology, Lord, that everyone who's got the time and the inclination can join in from around the world that the church can actually gather in the spirit and we can worship you together. We can learn of you together. We can grow together. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for making all this possible, Lord. It was you who made all this possible. What started last year, when the pandemic started, you have made it a blessing for us, Lord, to minister to you and to your people seven days a week. Thank you, thank you, Lord, thank you. Truly like the book of the apostles, the Acts of the Apostles, we are gathering steadfastly every day in the courts of God for the apostles' doctrine and for fellowship, for judgment and for prayer. Thank you, Father, thank you. Speak to us now, teach us, Lord. Your word alone can fortify us to withstand all the wiles of the devil. Speak, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. So, weekdays, we go through line by line, precept by precept. We were with uh, the judges yesterday. Today we shall be with Nehemiah. We had looked at Nehemiah 1 to 6 is where we had looked. Chapter 4, Ramba, the first three chapters. We looked in detail how God, when he begins, okay? The difference between judges is, it is a deliverer is raised by God. Nehemiah is where restoration is taking place, rebuilding the walls. The remnant has come back, but everything is in ruins. Okay, there's a difference between these two, and we go through both. A deliverer has been raised when people, because we need both. There are people who are crying out for deliverance in the house of God. They messed up, they goofed up, they went on that other side, everything is fallen apart. And God raises up a deliverer and deliverance comes from God. Then there are those who have been delivered, but the walls are down, the gates are burned, and they don't know how to fortify their lives from the attacks of the devil. So this goes side by side. So we have Nehemiah. See, when God does stuff, he does it his own ways. It's only later we will understand what he is doing. So chapter 1, 2, 3, we saw. Everybody is so serious, relax. God is in control. <laughs> okay. He's still on the throne. He'll be always on the throne. Okay. I could be upset. I don't know why you're upset because I got a very disturbing call in the morning. I'm not talking even about it. It was a very disturbing call about somebody going through a crisis. And just know my heart has been heavy after that. But uh, you didn't get the call, so you relax. 
Okay. You are not going to even know about it, so don't worry about it. Okay, so the thing is that uh, three chapters we saw, and chapter three was a sum, summary of the gates they are rebuilding and the walls they are building up. And uh, verses one to six, we saw how uh, the enemy comes, he intimidates, he mocks, he ridicules, he brings in doubt where you can even finish this work and discouragement sets in. And this is how the devil does. The devil is always at work. He's, never, he's got a thousand mouthpieces. Remember, here you will see God has only one mouthpiece. The devil has multiple mouthpieces and he controls the spirit. He's the spirit of the power of the air. He controls, okay? The media is controlled by him. Before Big Tech came in, he controlled the media, okay? But God, God expects us to hear to his voice. So Robert, this is the second question God asked Adam and Eve in the garden. Who told you? Because every decision that we take, it may be as simple as making a garment of fig leaves, okay? Or eating the fruit, which God said, don't do. It's not simple. It's complex. It's terrible. It's always, every action that we do, every thought that we think, that it doesn't come in the vacuum. Somebody has spoken. Either it is God or it is the enemy. So God asks his second question, who told you? And the third question, of course, follows it, what have you done? Because everything that we do follows a voice that we have heard. It's the voice of God and the voice of the enemy. And the voice of God, is, is you don't hear it often. There was a season when man only heard the voice of God, but once they listened to the voice of the enemy, he takes over. And the fallen man most often speaks the voice of the enemy. So we saw that, the intimidation, and still they are building. And now we come and we will read from verse 6 to, to 14. And once you see that intimidation does not work, something changes. Okay, Nehemiah chapter, we, we had done till... Verse 6. So we built the wall and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people had a mind to work. Okay. That's, that's the whole purpose of the pulpit. Okay. And Nehemiah is just not a leader, a builder. He's also a preacher because, you know, you have to motivate people to keep building their lives. Don't give up. Don't give up halfway. The kingdom of God is full of half constructed houses. So that's what Jesus said. Count the cost. Half constructed. We have a very famous old movie song in Malayalam. Paninyatum, paninyatum, paniti ratavide. The house that never finished. Building, building, building never finishes the construction. And it stands there. Okay. And you see, actually, you go to, I mean, I don't know now. I haven't gone to Kerala for a long time. But if you travel through Kerala those days, you could see so many unfinished houses. Because people used to go to the Middle East to get a job and then they don't want to build a small house. Everybody wants to build a mansion. Halfway through the mansion, they lose their job. Okay, so you have these unfinished structures all around unfinished structures because you know why? They never counted the cost. And Jesus says you need to count the cost and be prepared to finish this work. Okay, finish. And remember, the most difficult construction, if you are not determined, is building the house of God, which is you, and a church. Building a church is very difficult. Gathering a crowd is easy. Building a church is not easy at all. It is very, very difficult because you have to build it in God's ways and with God's power. 
and with God's provision. Okay, so when you have these three coming in together, it's like it looks like uh, impossible. Okay, ask uh, I heard a preacher say, ask a young boy. Um, cleanliness is next to no, he will say impossible. <laughs> We know cleanliness is next to godliness, but ask a young man, he will say it's next to impossible. Okay, so it's like that. <laughs> okay, no, we shall not say amen to that. <laughs> okay, we have to go after it. So you have here, you know, the enemy is, you start building your life according to the word and the power of God, the devil will come after you. You try to build the church, he will try to discourage, people will leave, negative people will be there, they'll say it's not possible, why is this so long, they don't like the worship, they don't like the word, they don't like the offertory, they don't like the offertory song, they don't like the fellowship, they don't like the snacks. You know it's something or other will come through. Basically to cause discouragement. So that you will stop well, that's why you have seeker-friendly churches. You know why? The pastors couldn't handle it. They simply couldn't handle it. So you know what they said? It's okay. Just give them what they want. Just give them what they want. Just keep the congregation together. And you know, ultimately, you're going nowhere. You're building nothing. So when that doesn't work, because you have a leader like Nehemiah who refuses to compromise, okay, refuses to compromise, because he's got a burden, he has fasted, he has cried, he has wept, and he has come with that burden, he refuses to compromise. You know what happens? Verse 7, now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashurites heard the walls of Jerusalem, so now the news is spreading, were being restored, and the gaps were being to be closed, that they became very angry. They are not able to do with intimidation and sarcasm and ridicule and mockery and all that. They are not able to stop. They became very angry. And what do they do? And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. So now, you will see this specter of persecution arising in your life. Personal life, okay? When words don't work, like intimidation doesn't work, mockery doesn't work, scorn doesn't work, they start, it becomes, they move to a next level. Okay, so churches start getting attacked. Churches start getting attacked, okay? They start attacking you, whatever. Not like you see in the Western world, the attack is, you don't do what we tell you to do, and you don't speak what we tell you to do, we will cancel you. It's an attack. And cancellation can really mess you up because your finances dry up. It's a siege on your... They're not cancelling you. They're cancelling your finances. They're not cancelling you. Remember, that's the whole idea. They're cancelling your finances. Meaning, they know in the world to run anything you need money. Okay, so what do they do? They cut off your purse strings. The sources are cut off. That's the fundamental idea behind cancel culture. Fundamental idea. And you need to realize, everything that is neutral can be used for good or evil. Let's say we all have apps for transferring money and it's very useful it's very fast within seconds you can do that but the same thing in the hands of the wrong person can become very dangerous when you have like in western societies where everyone is transferring money through apps and through those systems and cash is not really being used what happens in cancel culture in cancel culture what happens is you cannot transfer money 
You can only transfer money to the people they agree and they approve. You cannot cancel, send money to the people they disapprove. That is the whole idea behind bringing us off currency notes. Okay, so you need to realize that's a form of real physical persecution. And you will realize so many of the apps cancel them. They took the, even President Trump, <laughs> the President of United States was cancelled and the banks closed his accounts. They're just telling you that we control the system. You don't do what we tell you to do. We will come after you and we know how to come after you. They said we know how to come after you. First they make you dependent upon a system. Then the system starts controlling you. They start controlling you. And that's why we have to live outside the grid. We use the grid, but we live outside the grid by being dependent upon God. Okay, And that's a real, genuine dependence upon God. That's the first thing Nehemiah said. We don't want any help from you. You have no part in it. And they are the grid. They are the system. They are the system who controls Samaria. They are the ones who control Jerusalem. They are the ones who have been ruling for all these years. Okay, So what did you do? He said, "We have, you have no part in this. We will do it on our own. So we have to learn to be dependent upon God. Yes, money is the devil gives. God also can give. It's not an issue. Jesus was lived outside the grid. And he saw the power of his father working through him. Whenever there was a need or a necessity, his father intervened because he chose to live outside the grid. And he was teaching his disciples also to live outside the grid. He said, when I sent you, nothing. Did you lack? They said, no. Not like I'm not saying you should not be dependent upon the system, use the system grid, but don't be dependent upon them. Be dependent upon God. Be dependent upon God. Because the system will come after you and they can destroy you. They can destroy you. We're seeing it even in this nation. They are able to destroy people, tarnish names, reputations completely in one day. In one day. People do not even matter for them. People do not even matter for them. It's all about power. Even their own people don't matter for them. It's just about power. That's what the for people, for the devil is. For the devil, we are not people. We are just numbers. We have no identity. He uses us to get us to worship him and to thumb his nose at God. So please understand, when a system becomes like that, people don't matter. But for God, every individual matters. He individually loves us and cares for us. And he died for us individually, not corporately. Individually, Though God so loved the world, he died for us, each one. And Jesus shows that through. So you have to realize over there, they're very angry and they are conspiring, getting ready to attack Jerusalem and create confusion. The whole idea, what is this whole thing about? They stop the construction of the wall, the hanging of the gates. Only idea, meaning the devil will do everything to see an individual, or a church does not build the walls of salvation and hang gates of praise. Okay, He does not want people to praise God. So everything that can be done to stop you from praising and building, he will do. If you are not cowed down by intimidation, ridicule, scorn, doubt and discouragement, he will physically try to use people to attack you will physically try to attack you so that you know you give up and you said where lord where are you where are you and that's what david and all face where are you lord we start actually doubting god are you really there he said all these promises but where is okay 
And the response is verse 9. Nehemiah's response. Verse 9. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God. And because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Nevertheless, he refused to give up. You need leaders like Nehemiah who refuse to quit. This work is not going to cease. This work is not going to cease. I am going to continue this work. And you know what he says? Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God. And because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. This is exactly what God says. Be sober. Be alert. Because your enemy is roaming back and forth to see whom he can devour. And Jesus would say, watch and pray. We have one of the two problems. Either we pray without watching or we watch without praying. Okay. And Jesus didn't either suggest either one of them. Either we pray without watching. That's what prayer meetings are taking place every week, every church. But they pray without watching. Or we watch without praying. In Matthew 26, 41. And then Luke 21, 36. Okay. We have to go back to watch and pray. He didn't say pray. He said watch and pray. Lest you enter into temptation. So what is he saying? Nevertheless, they gave themselves over to prayer and he put watchmen to watch day and night. Watch and pray. Luke 21, 36. Then Mark 3. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass. So we need to understand the physical reality there. How do we apply it into our lives? How do we apply? Mark 13 and verse 33. Then Luke 12 and 37. Take heed, watch and pray, for you do not know when the time is. Luke 12 and verse 37. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Okay, over and over and over this warning is given. You know, because if you don't watch, see, you're, you're trying to build a wall. But remember, even those who are building the wall, the walls are only half done. And you leave the work and you go to sleep. And the night you come, the fellow has come and destroyed what you have built. Or he had got in and he's inside the camp. And the fact of the matter is for all of us, our walls are half done. We haven't built it full where we can say with 100% secure. I am secure. There's nothing the devil can do to me. So God says, watch and pray. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. They set a watch day and night. And nevertheless, they gave themselves over to prayer. So there is ridicule, there is scorn, there is intimidation, there is doubt, there is discouragement and there is physical persecution. And when that comes, God says, you know, be watchful. And God's servants are called to be watchmen. In Ezekiel 3 and verse 17, God says to be watchmen on the city walls. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. What is our job? Our job is to hear a warning from God and warn the people. That's the purpose of God's servants. Okay, God is warning. God is warning, constantly warning. We hear and we pass it on so the people are prepared and they are not caught Unawares, they know what the time is. In Acts chapter 20, verse 31, Paul to the church of Ephesus, he talks about it. How he was a watchman. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone 
night and day with tears. He kept on warning them. Okay, be careful, be careful, be careful, be careful, be careful. These things will happen. So fortify yourself, be strong, that when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand. Day and night, he was a watchman. In Isaiah 56, verse 10 and 11, God has a terrible indictment. Okay, His watchmen are blind. They are all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark. Sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Yes, they are greedy dogs which never have enough. And they are shepherds who cannot understand. They all look to their own way. Everyone for his own gain from his own territory. Now he's talking about shepherds. It's a terrible indictment. It is when shepherds become like this. There are no walls. There is no construction going. The enemy is prowling. He is living in the church. Happily residing in the church. And the people are all taken captive. And that's why God says, my people perish because of lack of knowledge. Okay? And he says, because you priests rejected knowledge, I also rejected you. That's what I'm talking about. They're ignorant. They're all ignorant. They're all ignorant. You know, they come with a three-year degree from a cemetery, you know, sorry, seminary. Okay. And they pile up dead bodies in the church. <laughs> Literally. Okay, the dead bodies. Like an African brother told a white missionary, he says, your churches have become storehouses for the devil. There are more hope on the streets where at least they may hear the real gospel. Okay, I'm not indicting everybody. I'm just looking at the pulpit. What are you teaching? Why is the, the Christian nation in the in the world in such despair? You know what? It's not the politicians. It's not the Congress. It's not the Supreme Court. It's the shepherds. It is the shepherds. They led the nation down. Why was America strong? Because the pulpit was very strong. There was a president, I forgot which his name was Truman or Ulysses Grant, I do not know. There was a particular preacher in DC. And he was tough preacher. So one day the president was visiting the church and they told him, please, 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 be mild, be mild. The president is coming. You're too tough from the pulpit, too tough from the pulpit. The president came, was sitting, all this thing. He preached his toughest sermon ever. Okay. And the president came to him and said, if I had 10 men like you in my cabinet, I could change the whole world. Yeah, no? that's, that's the thing. Okay. That's the thing, you know. And the pulpit defined America. America was defined by the pulpit. America was do- not defined by politicians. America was defined by preachers. They, that's the, if you ask the reason why America became the greatest nation of earth, it was not the enterprise, it was not the natural wealth, it was not any of those things. The primary reason was one thing. It was, just see that... Uh, yeah, okay. Samir gave me an immediate reply. It was Andrew Jackson. Good for you, Samir. Okay, it was Andrew Jackson. Okay. <laughs> okay. It was Arimas. Okay. Cool job. Okay, it was Andrew Jackson. Okay, so remember, when I saw that, I thought maybe the internet wasn't working. Andrew Jackson. Yes, it was Andrew Jackson. Good job, Samir. Okay, so remember, America was defined by its preachers. It's preachers who made that country. Okay, so Nehemiah, we'll talk about the walls of Jerusalem, the gates of Jerusalem. You know the one man behind it all? It was a man called Nehemiah, and he was a preacher. He was a preacher. And he, you know, 
he was not a blind watchman he was a man watchman who was awake and sober and warned the people and encouraged the people and said keep walking keep working don't give up don't give up don't give up don't give up so those who build walls are mocked and ridiculed by the sanballats and the tobias and the geshems hmm? what happens many many shepherds just gave in and give in they stop the work they cannot handle the pressure anymore they cannot handle the pressure anymore okay so shepherds should be called by god mentored by god then sent by god if you look at god's shepherds moses 40 years in the wilderness after that he could handle pressure after that he could handle aaron could not handle pressure buckled under pressure he had a cap and he had the robes but he had no strength to handle it because he never encountered god but moses had that david had that saul did not have the strength to handle pressure david had the strength to handle pressure because that's the whole thing john the baptist jesus all were framed by god paul was framed by god now you have to take that pattern into a life not that you are becoming a preacher but every man is a leader in his own way at the end of the day go stand outside you will see wherever you go your shadow follows so you are a leader somebody is following you you are the leader of your own life you ultimately determine your own destiny and god says you know you need to be resilient you need to be resilient because in the last days god says it will be so bad if god did not shorten the days even the very elect themselves would not be saved that's how bad it is going to be we are being assaulted 24/7 by the media which is in their hands and we have to consciously make a decision not to hear anybody except the voice of god just go through the headlines if you need to if it affects your life in any way otherwise don't even have to go don't even have to bother about it you don't have to bother about it it doesn't matter no it doesn't matter even today when i was hearing a uh, man of god i like some i listen through all of them and then i listen to them to i look at the tone of their voice and listen to their spirit and listen to the word they speak and then i decide this is genuine and that man says, i think he is he lives in a trailer because every message is from a trailer bus but he says that i do not listen to the news yeah. i just listen to god they very rarely listen to the news they just listen to god the problem with the news is the news is all based on ratings and we know the ratings are going in india and the people have been caught is based on ratings and the problem is if you listen to the ratings news then our prayer will also be according to the ratings it will be like emotions morning headlines ted cruz linking in by twisting ted cruz is forgotten texas storm after that next thing this thing you know what we don't know what to pray for we don't know what to pray for <laughs> you're moved by the headlines and that's what you will see pray for this that has happened pray for that has happened nobody is hearing from god nobody is hearing from god <laughs> but on the other hand if you hear from god god will say don't pray for that that is my judgment pray for this give them the strength to go through this pray for this i'm in control just tell them to pray she will tell you exactly how to pray for it because you've heard from god and that is the authentic news 
Because there's only one newsmaker, that is God, not the devil. <laughs> He's the only newsmaker. He's the one who's creating the news. The news is about basically about him. He's in control of everything. And that's why we have to be very, very careful to let that news does not determine our prayers. It's God who determines our prayers because the devil is after our lives to create confusion. The Bible says to create confusion. And it had its effect. It had its effect. You look at verse 10. It had its effect when when these things come. You know what happened? And Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing. Okay. When you hear about all this, what happens? You start, how long, Lord, how long? What is the point? This is not going to happen. They are too strong for us. The church in India seems to have almost given up. (laughs) They almost seems to have given up. But it's not true. You know, what happens? It causes such such discouragement instead of the vision which God gave you of the constructed, completed building, all you are able to see is rubble and rubbish. You're not able to see. That's what discouragement does. You know, I've made this illustration a few times in the past so many years, but refresh our memory. Okay, there was two guys in a cell, solitary cell, not solitary, two people in a prison cell and a dirty cell and it was dark. And, uh, uh, they could, they had a small little window with bars through which they could look out and they were both were standing. One fellow looked down and just below the window was a sewer, sewage flowing and he was looking down and he was echoing his thoughts. My life is like this. Dirty, stinking, going nowhere. This is my end. I will die in this cell. The other guy was able to look back and in the dark side, sky he saw a few stars and he said you know what as long as there is god there is hope one day i will come out same cell same window depending upon where you looked okay where you looked so the question is if you hear the wrong voice all you will get is discouragement and you start giving up like i told you yesterday people just give up individuals give up families give up Homes give up, marriages give up, churches give up, national leaders give up. There's no, there's no solution to this crisis. Just give the money, print money and give. So what? Inflation comes. Who cares? Just feed them now. Temporary solutions. You know what happened in Zimbabwe during those years? No, you to buy a loaf of bread, you needed to take notes in a wheelbarrow. That's what inflation does. Your money loses ultimately value. Okay. If America wasn't the richest country in terms of economy and all, do you think they would make a stimulus check like this? Any other country would dare to do something like that? No, they wouldn't. But you know what? They have selling away the future of their children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren also. Who will pay all this off? Okay, who will pay? There's only one person who can pay it. It's not economics. It's not policy. It's not commerce. It is not industry. It is only God. Who can pay it off. That's why the solution doesn't lie with the politician. The solution lies with the church. So God can pay it off. There was a story of a, of a, of a, of a soldier in old Russia. Sars were ruling. 
and he had so many debts and he was sitting was on night duty so he was sitting in a piece of paper wrote it wrote it wrote it and found such and his salary is meager he's got so such a huge debt and he wrote at the end who will pay and he fell asleep the sar if i'm right was nicolas one or nicolas who had a habit of going in mufti camouflage dressing himself disguise and going around to see how his people were and he saw the sentry sitting out there huddled in the cold with his rifle across and his paper he looked at the paper and he says who will pay and he wrote his signature and put his seal and left it the next morning when he looked at it he said nicolas the two or one the sar will pay he took it to the treasury it was completely cleared because the sar signature nobody will say no you need to realize there's only one who can pay the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills the gold and the silver are mine there's no answer to this solution people are not looking to the real source for answers even if it's an individual debt or individual sickness or individual need who has the answer only god and god says he has already answered it all in christ jesus just turn to my son he is the answer the answer is there as for a nation for an individual for a family and that's what uh, nehemiah did when all this thing what did they do he turned to god he says let's pray and you'll watch god started this he will finish this but when discouragement comes what do you see you only see the rubbish in your life you don't see the finished product it's like trying to give a thousand piece puzzle to a child <laughs> too difficult but when it is finished then i didn't know it was such a beautiful story but that's it what god is doing with us as long as we don't don't give up and in verse 11 you see the attack the sneak attack and our adversary said they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease you need to realize the devil will go to any extent to stop the work he may even kill you if you are strong he may not kill you but he may kill somebody close to you stop the work okay remember like i said the strength of it if a hundred link chain how many links do you need to break to break the chain only one only one so which how strong is this what is the strength of the chain it's equal to the strength of the weakest link so the devil goes after the weakest one he goes after the weakest one and what happens when chain breaks will you give up or will you take the chain and link it back again so okay i will work with 99 one more breaks okay i will work with 98 i'm not going to give up and ultimately all the links are gone only one is left what will you do will you still continue god is asking that's how jesus was all the links broke he still stood there and he still finished his work that's what the devil is trying to do he says till we come into their midst we will sneak they will have no idea at all we'll come in because that's the devil that's the devil he sneaks in you will have no idea at all how he sneaks in He just sneaks in unawares. You don't even know that he is over there in your midst. He comes in, he attacks, he comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. That's what happens when we do not watch and pray. Much of the damage that have happened in our lives and our homes and the churches and nations is because we did not watch. We prayed, we didn't watch. We were not watchful. That's why two, three weeks ago when I said one of the most 
important gifts we need is the gift of discernment and the gift of knowledge, not the gift of wisdom, the gift of the word of knowledge, the word of knowledge and the spirit of discernment. You ask, we have to ask for this in the last days so that we are preempt the attack of the enemy. We know where it is coming from, how it is coming and who it is coming through. So what do you do? What happens? When we do not watch and pray, when the watchman is blind and the watchman doesn't see, the watchman is not awake, we lose. See, God has appointed a watchman in our own lives. It's the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit. He's the one. See how, how, how incredibly sharp the ears of the apostles were in the early church. That even at the offering bag, when people would actually lose discernment. <laughs> no, I mean, everybody's bringing offerings. So hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. That even at the offering bag, at the point of putting the offering, they are able to discern the spirit behind the offering and say, stop it. Stop it. Okay, stop it. And that's the spirit of God. That's it. And we need to realize the spirit of God in us is incredibly, incredible. He's, he's the watchman of all watchmen who never sleeps nor slumbers. Not only that, look at James chapter 4 and verse 4 and 5. The nature of this <coughs> watchman Adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. How do I know that? Or do you not think scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns... How do I know where I am touching the world? How do I know where my mind is touching the world? How do I know where my spirit is touching? How will I know? It's the spirit of God who is a watchman of my soul. He will tell you, tell you where you have touched it. And the James in his chapter 1 says, remain unspotted from the world. You know what a spot is, right? Spot yesterday I was washing my whites. I did, there was one shirt which I really love, white, all our whites. And it had a small little brown patch. I did everything possible. And when I finish, it's sparkling, but that little thing is there. Because it's white, it shows. Because this is white, it shows. See, the spots in our life do not show because we are not white. Because we are not white. He says, come to me. Let us, let us, let us, uh, engage ourselves in this conversation. Even though your sins are as scarlet, I'll make it as white as snow. When we come to that level of righteousness, every spot will start showing. We will fight with the spots. No. I've heard this is an illustration. I don't know how true it is. There is the West. They will know there is an animal called. I think I don't know how you pronounce. It's called ermine, ermine or ermine. If out of its fur coat, coat is made, we used to kill this animal to make. And if I'm right, its skin is white. So to catch this ermine, what the hunters used to do is they used to find its hole where it hides. You know what that? They put dirt around the mouth of the hole. And when they chase the ermine, when it comes to the hole and when it see it's dirty, it will turn around and rather die than get its coat dirty. Because that's its nature. Okay. Okay. It would rather die than get its coat nature. So God, that's why God told through Solomon, go and learn from these things. It will teach you something. And nature I have put in these things. They will all teach you lessons. 
And that's what the book of Hebrews says. In your battle against sin, you have not come to the point of shedding blood. That's what, that's what a simple thing which Daniel does. We talk about Daniel through, 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 through the 12 chapters of and all his revelation. But what is that? He chose to remain unsupported from the world. No, now this is a decision we choose to make and we fight our way through. We don't have to feel condemned. So remember, this is the zeal of the heavenly watchman. He's so zealous for us. So there is a zeal of the heavenly watchman and there is a zeal of the earthly watchman. Second Corinthians 11 and verse 2. This is the heavenly, earthly watchman. It's a heavenly watchman and an earthly. For I am zealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband that you may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. That's an incredibly comforting words. You know why? Because it's a reverse order. A girl comes as a chaste virgin and marries and she loses her virginity. On the other hand, we come as people who have lost our innocence, our virginity, our chastity because we are messed up by the devil and the world. And Jesus is in the reverse process, the Holy Spirit of making us chaste and a virgin. He says, by the time I finish my work and present you to my son, you will be a virgin. Chaste, unspotted by the world. You know, Ramba. We have to look at this too. It's a reverse process what God is doing it. Okay, God doing it. And that's how he will do it. And he says he will do it. Thessalonians, he says that in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, 24. He says he will do it. That's our part. We just have to look at our part of the bargain. And we keep our part of the bargain. He will keep his part of the bargain. That is what it's talking about. The devil will come. His sneak attack to mess up us up. And God says, be zealous. And verse 12. Nehemiah 4.12 So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came. They told us ten times from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. Okay? Now look at this. Who told this? The Jew, not the Jews. The Jews who dwelt close. near them. Close to them. Close to Sanballat, Tobiah and all. So there are Jews who are working and all are working. But some of the Jews, their residents are very close to Tobiah, Sanballat and all. Are you getting it? So who are the ones who bring fear into the camp of God? Are the ones who live very close to the world. Where we live makes a difference. I'm not talking about a physical location. Okay, physical location. Primarily, but physical location also matters, but we are not talk primarily talking about, we are talking about a spiritually where are you located. You see, those who are living very close to the world, what happens? They will be the first, the ears are always open to temptation and fear. The ears are always, because they are very close to the world. The world works only on two things, it's either fear or lust. That's what talking about the corruption of the world that comes through lust. Okay? And the kingdom of God only works on two. It's faith and love. Faith and love. The kingdom of this world works on faith, on fear, and on lust. If he cannot intimidate you, he will tempt you, seduce you. The two ways. And these who are living with Iramath, the whole camp, the trouble in Israel started because they were a mixed multitude. Mixed multitude. They were the ones who started the whole thing. By the time it finished, the entire camp was weeping. And they always, this mixed multitude who live very close to the world would say, you know how what we ate in Egypt? What we ate in Egypt? Oh, there were leeks and onions and garlic and we ate fish with no problem. We are tired of this manna. You know? 
And that's when I get up. I'm telling you, I have seen it even this month when I go out for meetings and when the Holy Spirit's anointing is so high and it is moving. One mother picks up a child and walks away, the flow stops. It stops. And people do not realize there are people who come into the church and the anointing is very heavy. Somebody starts looking at the watch and the Holy Spirit walks away. Walks away. That's why I don't want a crowd if you're not interested. Just looks at the watch, it's gone. And you're looking at what happened and you realize he's, he's gone. He's sensitive. He's sensitive. No, he's sensitive. Because he's come here with the goodness of God, the kindness of God, the power of God. He comes with all of that. People will mock and all that, but look at Catherine Coleman's old videos and all. She wouldn't allow people even to move. She would say, be still, he's here. And the power that was manifested in some of her meetings was unbelievable. You know the power of God that is available to us? But he's, he's just not going to move like that. No? And the devil comes over there. He comes. And who are the ones? Those who lived very close. So devil will bring either fear or temptation. No? And he will, and God is on the other hand is full of faith. And when you live close to the world, the problem is, you know, by the time truth has spoken once, fear has spoken ten times. Look at it. They told us ten times. No? It's like Mark Twain said, before truth has put on its shoots, lie has traveled twice around the world. Ten times they came and told them how fear spreads like faster than COVID-19. Like it, it, it's, just, it's a plague. Fear goes like a fl- plague. Now, ten times. And who are these? People who live near the world. It goes around. No? And that's where we have to be very, very careful. Very, very careful. Okay? Very, very careful that the world does not captivate our minds does not captivate our minds. Because what happens is, the voice of God, even if it's there, we don't hear. It gets dull. It loses its effectiveness in our lives. The word of God hasn't gone void, but has lost its effectiveness in our lives. Ten times it has gone through. Therefore, it should be very, very careful. You know, in Genesis chapter 13 and verse 12, okay, the destruction of a man, his home, and two nations began with one decision. Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. Just one decision. He was given a choice. Let us separate. He took the choice, went towards the wicked world represented by Sodom, pitched his tent very close to Sodom. You know what will end? It will end in the destruction of his home, the death, living, burning death of his wife, the destruction of his daughters, and ultimate destruction of both his sons, which will become two nations. And these nations have now come against, we saw that yesterday, coming against Israel, coming against Moab and Ammon. You know why? One decision. Let me close, live close to the world. That's all. He wasn't threatened. He was seduced. By the glamour of the world, the riches of the world, the power of the world, the prosperity of the world. He was gone. You see, the effects of what happened, we do not sometimes see in our own lifetime. You'll see it in the lives of our children, the decisions we made, a father made, a mother made, or both of them made. 
Okay. We don't see it in our lifetime. Suddenly we will see it in the life of our children. We'll be wondering what happened. God says, you made the choice to pitch your tent. You could have pitched your tent in Canaan towards the altar. You chose to pitch your tent towards the world. Okay. So be very careful. So if Mr. Flesh, my flesh, Mr. Dovaya, is an echo chamber of Satan, that is Mr. Sanbalat, then weak believers who live close to the world become the echo chamber of the world. They speak the world, they talk the world, they talk the fear of the world, or the seduction of the world. The conversation is always about the world. And you know what? Post-church service, when the fellowship takes place, the effectiveness of the word of God is gone. You know why? Because the world is brought in over. And they do it unconsciously. Because that's that's where they live in. You know? So be watchful. Even Jesus had to rebuke Peter and say, Get thee behind me, Satan. Okay. So we have to look at these. And leaders, spiritual leaders, every leader should be spiritual. And spiritual leaders cannot be afraid. They should not be intimidated. If you are intimidated, you will not be able to lead. If you are a father, if you are intimidated, you will not be able to lead your home. If you are a pastor, if you are intimidated, you will not be able to lead your church. If you are a political leader, if you are intimidated, you cannot lead your nation. Spiritual leaders cannot be intimidated because the devil is spiritual. and He will come after you through all his means. That's why Jesus tells Joshua in Joshua 1.6 Be strong and of good courage. Two things. Be strong and be of good courage. Yes, he chose the weak things of the world. He chose the fearful things of this world. But he makes them strong and courageous. He doesn't leave them weak. He doesn't leave them without strength. He chose the foolish things of the world, but he doesn't leave them foolish. He gives them the very wisdom of God. Okay? So he tells us, be strong and be courageous. Nehemiah is a very strong and a courageous person. Though he was afraid when the king asked him, why is your face sad? When it comes to the things of God, he is very strong and very courageous. We need the strength and the courage of God. That's exactly what Paul will say in Ephesians 6.10. Finally, my brethren, be strong. How? In the Lord and in the power of his might. That's where prayer comes in. That's where meditation comes in. Where we pray, and the Bible, especially one whole chunk of the church has taken away the gift of the Holy Spirit called praying in tongues. But it strengthens you. Why was Paul the strongest man in his generation. Because one of the reasons he says is, I pray in tongues more than any one of you. Okay, so there it is. Remember, bad news spreads ten times faster than good news. For every preacher of good news, the devil has ten. Preacher of bad news. So solution, verse 14. We need a solution. And I looked and arose. Amplified version will tell you, when I saw their fear, I stood up. I looked and arose. Okay? I looked and arose. 
I looked them over and rose up and said, okay, I don't know which, uh, okay, it's fine, okay. I looked, my amplified version said, <laughs> okay, there are different amplified versions also, okay. When I saw their fear, I stood up, okay. As a leader, he sensed their fear. They heard their conversation. Okay, one of the fundamental jobs of leadership is to keep encouraging the people. Okay, when I saw their fear, I rose and spoke to them. Okay, it's a very important thing. Okay, one thing, he stood up. In the midst of fear, we have to stand up. The Bible says, in the day of evil, stand, don't sit down. Don't sit down. Okay, sitting down is after you have overcome. He sat down with everything under his feet. But when you are facing it, don't sit down, stand. It's a spiritual position. He stood. He stood up. And fear comes, the enemy comes, we have to stand up. Okay, he stood up. And what did he do? He spoke. He spoke. You know, we know it. Because we see it. Now, I mean, the last time I saw a sports match, I don't know when was it. I think the last five minutes of when India won the test. And before that, the last match I, I watched was a match which was played in 1998, which I keep watching once in a while when I want to pep myself up. It is called the Desert Storm of Sachin Tendulkar. <laughs> okay. Sharjah hit by a sandstorm. Play stops, resume, single-handedly he took us to the final and won the final also for us. So those are pepping matches. I watched that and I put it away. That's okay. That's enough of sports for me at this age. Okay. So you know what? But we see in sports, you know how many matches have been lost because the coach did not use the timeout properly? You know what they do? It's called the huddle. They gather together and he peps them up. We are behind, but we can get ahead. We can win. Concentrate, concentrate, concentrate. It's not over. It is not finished. And the team comes back and wins. That's a huddle. When fear, and fear was going around like wildfire and everybody, he called them all. The officials, the rest of the people. It's a huddle. And he rises up and tells, do not be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid. Get your perspective back. Why? Remember the Lord. Don't forget who started this. God tells us. Don't forget. Great and awesome is he. That's the Psalms. Great and awesome, our God. Do not forget his mercies. Do not forget his kindness. Good. Do not forget his promises. He who started a good work you knew will be faithful to you. Know, even if you forget the rest of scripture, just cling to that. Lord, I'm, I'm just failing every day. But I'm holding on to that one verse. That you started this work in me, you will finish it. And God says, Amen to that. I will finish it. Your trust is in me. That's what he's saying. He started this work. The good hand of the Lord was there. Remember where it began. Remember how we had happened. He says, we will finish it. We will finish it. No? You, in no way you are discounting the odds, the enemies that are against you. Nope. You have the devil. You have the world system. And on top of that, you you have your own flesh, which screams every day. What does it say? Quit. Let me ask you this question. How did the fear, how did the fear spread in the camp? 
from the enemy or from your own flesh and blood. Your own flesh and blood. They are the ones to spread it ten times. The enemy only spoke once. The enemy only spoke once. Your own flesh repeated it ten times. The devil only speaks once. Your flesh takes it and starts Twitter, woofer, everything is going on. See, when we do our uh, broadcast and all, the speaker gives trouble. But our flesh speakers are always very active. It's better than uh, whatever DBL or JBL or Econ. It's forever speaking, telling you ten different ways how you are going to fail if you walk with God. It's our flesh. It's our flesh. I'll give you a couple of interesting examples. Genesis 2.21 Got it? Genesis. He took and he took a, and 23. That's Eve is made. Okay, 23. I like 23. And Adam said, this is now the bone of my bone and the flesh of my flesh. And 3, 6. She took it, she ate it, she also gave to her husband with her and he ate. You're finished. Not only you have your flesh, you have the flesh of your flesh also with you now. <laughs> if you look through the Bible, it was not only Abraham, Sarah is with him. Take Hagar. Not only his flesh, tempted by a young woman, the wife, the flesh of the flesh is also encouraging him, have a child through her. He went. Okay. In Job 2, 9, the flesh of his flesh. His wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. Thank God his flesh was dead, otherwise he would give unto the flesh of his flesh. Are you understand? Are we getting what? No, it may be humorous, but this is the truth. You know, that's where the words of your spouse matter. Matter. Spouse, more than anybody else, the words of your spouse matter because you are flesh and she or he is the flesh of your flesh. And where two flesh come together, it's a bonfire. You fall. You fall. And Job was smart. He resisted his flesh. He said, no. No. You know. You know. But do you know the effect of it? 3-1, if I'm right. Job 3-1. We look at verse 10. Look at verse 10. But the effect of it, the words don't just go away from your mind. Okay? Yeah. 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 Three. Uh, 2 10. First we look at 2 10. Okay? First you reject it. Okay? He said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and shall not we accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Okay? Yes. But the words are still ringing in his mind. What did my wife say? Curse God and die. Curse God and die. Curse God and die. Curse God and die. After some time, there is no God. Curse. 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 And 3 1 says, he opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. It had an effect. It had an effect. So you will forget anything everybody says. But if your husband or wife says something, it will be ringing in your head. Because you know she knows me best. He knows me better than anybody else. And what he said or she said is ringing. So he doesn't curse God. He curses himself. It's as bad. It's as bad. Life and death is in the power of your tongue. You didn't curse God. You curse God. Nothing is going to happen to God. 
But if you curse yourself, something is going to happen to you. Think about it. A little child, no, I don't know what pitchy means in Telugu. What does pitchy mean? Huh? Yeah, no, we hear little children say pitchy appa. Okay, what happens to appa? Nothing. But on the other hand, the appa says pitchy baby. He will become pitchy one day. Okay. That's what we have to be careful. Amaya stands up and he says, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. How great and awesome is this. Go back to his promises. And Peter will say, we have been given exceedingly great and precious promises through which the power of this promise, we partake of the very divine nature of God and escape the corruption that is in the world. And Hamas stands there and he reminds them on the promises of God. There are the promises of God. He reminds them, great and awesome our God is. Don't be afraid of them. And then he reminds them of the cause. Don't forget what you're fighting for. Sometimes when you look at the cause, it is rather worth dying for the cause than give it up. Give it up. Give it up. Okay. I've seen these old western movies. Okay. I mean, we are not being racist or anything. This is the way the movies were made and there is truth in the history and all. These caravans are moving, you know, wagon trains are moving from one side to the other side and then the wagon train gets uh, attacked. And uh, they are being massacred by the American Indians of those days, the CO and Apaches and all. And they will cut and take your skin off. That's a scalp they will hang over there. And finally, you will see a father and his wife and his two daughters. The last thing, you know what? He knows he's got only a few more bullets left. They know they are going to die. You know what he does? He first shoots his wife and his two daughters and then he dies fighting. Because he says that you get into their hands, your life will be worse than death. No point in living what they will do to you. Okay, meaning, defeat is not an option. When you are fighting with the enemy, defeat is not an option. That is where the Bible says, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, the word of the testimony. They did not love their lives even unto death. And to Smyrna, God says, be faithful unto death. To give them a cause, what you're fighting for. What are you thinking about? You cannot give up. Do you know what you're fighting for? <laughs> Do you know what you're fighting for? You know what you're fighting for? There was a teacher in the college where I worked, and he was very short-tempered. Short-tempered. They are desperate people who come from India. They work over there because they have families, children. One day he lost his temper. I used to always warn him. Sashi Dharan, I still remember his name. And he lost his temper with the principal. The principal immediately dominated him. These are kingdoms and private institutions. They don't care. And he was sitting in the staff room and he was upset and crying. How do I go back? I need this job. I have nothing. This thing. Okay. Okay. So I talked to him and I said, what kind of a fool are you? You know, you know why you are here? <laughs> What are the reason you are in this another in this country? You're from that state of mind, hot, humid, twelve months in this cold, freezing climate. What are you here for? 
You're here for your family, for your wife, your children. They wait on your paycheck. You should learn to control your temper. Then I went to the principal and he always respected me. And I pleaded with him and I said, sir, please, no, it's okay. He's got this children. Okay, he said, okay, James, for your sake, he revoked his termination. Sometimes we forget, why do we go to work for? <laughs> Who are you going to work for? Who are you working for? You used to ask those teachers, who are you working for? Who are you working for? Because I used to have a staff room full of married people whose families were all in in, in India. I said, who are you? What are you sitting here on weekends gambling? Why are you drinking? Why are you wasting your money? Why don't you call homes? Because they used to laugh at me when my telephone bill used to come in the college because it was like a newspaper. Does you spend so much money on a telephone bill? I said, yes. I speak to my family morning and evening every day. I'm here for God and for them. It's not for, we never forget this. What are you fighting for? That's what he's telling. What are you fighting? What are you building? You build this a construction project? No. It's not a construction project. You're building it for our homes. You're building it for your wives. You're building it for your children. You're building it for brethren. What are we fighting for? You know, and that's what the church has forgotten. What are you fighting for? We are not fighting against. We are fighting not against flesh and blood. We are fighting for flesh and blood and fighting against powers of darkness. These fundamental principles should not be forgotten. You see, at the end of the day, when a soldier dies at Galwan, he's a martyr. Because he died for the right cause. So you know your principles are right and you fight a battle. Even if you lose, you'll walk away in peace, knowing I did the right thing. I did the right thing. That's a peace which God promises you. That's why Paul in the prison waiting execution has absolute peace and the presence of God is with him because he knows he's in prison and in chains and waiting execution for the right reason, not for the wrong reason. It's not that every battle we fight we will win, but we have to be very sure we are fighting the right battles and the right reasons and the right ways. So it does not matter whether we win or lose. We know ultimately we will win because God will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. All these people in the past 2,000 years, the Bible says they received nothing. What did the apostles did? Martyrdom. They were all killed. What did they have? Nothing. But are they going to lose? God says, no way. They're not going to lose. They're not losers. They're victors. They're more than conquerors. So this fundamental principle should be there. What am I building for? What I'm working for, my God, my family, my church. It's what I'm doing it all for. This is for some total of life. Love God, love your neighbor. So he gives them a cause. Do not fear the enemy. Do not quit. You cannot afford to quit. Right? We'll take seven more minutes and then we'll pray. Because we have to teach so people know what they are praying for. <laughs> Verse 13. Go back to verse 13. Therefore I positioned men between the lower parts of the wall at the openings. And I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears and their bows. And I can preach for an entire hour on verse 13 alone. Not because I am, I am, but because that's the nature of God's word. <laughs> it's as deep as him. Eternity also will be reading the word and scratching our head. How come I never saw it when I was here? It says because you could not understand when it was here. Now you can understand it. Okay. 
So the first thing he says is, he positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the opening. There were gaps. You know, when they're building walls, there will be gaps. No, they don't build like that. So imagine this is a wall and there is a gap here. Okay? The wall is only, one portion is constructed till here, then there is a gap here. Next portion is, so what does he do? He puts people there, armed people, wherever there are openings, the gaps. Positioned people. Are you getting the picture? It's a breach in the wall. So if you turn to Ezekiel 22 and verse 30. I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap. There are watchmen who are appointed on the city walls. and There are watchmen who are appointed in the city breach. Both are part of it. There are those who are on the walls and those who are in the breach. Those who are on the walls are called to proclaim. Warn when the enemy comes. Those who are in the breach are called to contend in prayer day and night covering the gap. That's what the apostles are saying. We will give ourselves continually to the ministry of the word and in prayer. There are watchmen on the walls and watchmen in the breaches. And that's what the Bible is saying. I say very, very intel, but why is this written for us? Are we fighting, building a real wall? No. We're building a spiritual wall. You know? Acts chapter 15, 16 and 17. What is God actually doing? The revelation that came through the mouth of Apostle James in the church in Jerusalem. And there was an issue with the Judaizers. After this, I will return and rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. What are we doing? Do you see how we can commit, connect Nehemiah with our own times? This is what the church is doing. I'm rebuilding the tabernacle of David. God is not rebuilding the tent at Shiloh. He's not rebuilding the temple of Solomon. He's rebuilding the tabernacle of David. The tabernacle of David was a very simple tabernacle. What is the difference with the tabernacle of David compared to the one at Shiloh or the one which was in Solomon? There was no separation. There was no ark was just kept there. There was no holy place or outer courts. Anybody could come and worship. And that's what God has done in the new covenant. There is no separation. The veil has been taken off. There is no sacrifice. Sacrifices are all being offered at one place. And here is the ark sitting over here. Here, there is no outer courts with the labor and this thing. There is no holy place. Nothing is here. That is all somewhere. He just borrowed the ark and put it over there and pitched a tent and he happily worshipped. God said, that's what I am doing. Sacrifice is over. My son has sacrificed. Holy place has been driven. My son is the holy place. The veil has been torn. You can come through him to me directly, boldly, confidently. That's what he's building up, the ruins. He's rebuilding it back. And I will set it up. And the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. You know where he's speaking it from? He's speaking it from Amos. Can I have KJV, Amos 9:11? And look at what is missed there, which Amos will say. Amos, in that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David that is fallen and close up the breaches thereof. I will raise up. There are breaches. There are breaches. And he will raise up his ruins and I will build it as in the days of old. It's very interesting if you look in a new covenant. God is not interested in Moses' tabernacle. He's not interested in Solomon's temple. He's interested in David's tabernacle. And if you look at what is the difference, there is no division. It's one tent with the Ark of the Covenant there. And God is saying, I'm in one place. All of you can come. 
praise me, worship me, fellowship with me. There are no divisions anymore. You are a royal priesthood. Come boldly, confidently. And there are breaches there. Every breach has to be repaired. And that's what he is doing. Even when you are building the wall, guard the breaches. Guard the breaches until it is built. What is a breach? What is a breach? The practical, we have to be very, very practical. What is a breach? There's a city wall and there is an opening. That's where the enemy will try to come in. So put your guards over there. You have to look. What are my breaches? Where am I weak? Where am I weak? Know thyself. Where am I weak? Every man and woman need to know who they are. They need to know their own weakness. And fortify that area. Because that's where the devil will come. Even if other areas of your life are very strong, don't spend time on that. Don't spend words, waste time on that. Put your armed men, your energy on the areas where you know it is breached. Breached. Whatever it is, each one's struggle is different. Proverbs 15 verse 4. Practical. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness therein is a breach in the spirit. You know what perverseness means? In actual dictionary, it's a deliberate, stubborn, unruliness and resistance to guidance or discipline. There will be one area in your life, God can tell you 200,000 times, you still will not listen. That's perverseness. You know it is true. You heard it a million times. But it is, that's a breach in your spirit. That's the area the enemy will get into. Understand. And God says, guard that area and build that wall and fortify it. Perverseness. And in this case, it talks about the tongue. The tongue is a breach. In me is life. In me is death. But how does it come out? Through the tongue. It is tongue. Okay, God says, be very calm. A whole song tongue and a perverse tongue. When you have a tongue which is undisciplined, a tongue that is not in control, it breaches your spirit. It breaches your spirit. And the spirit is where your life is. Turn to Proverbs 25 and verse 28. It breaches. Just a simple example about what Nehemiah is doing. Otherwise, we are just learning history of somebody who old city walls. Why waste your time? Others have built better walls. Let's go study the Great Wall of China. It's irrelevant. He that has no rule over his own spirit is a city that is broken down and without walls. Now walls are there, but walls have breaches. And what does it say? It's perverseness, an undisciplined tongue, undisciplined appetite, anything. Undisciplined appetite. You see, Isaac was a very disciplined man. He had only one perverseness that was in his eating. And that took him down. He should have fortified that, he should have seen it, identified and decided I'm going to fast and I'm going to break it in this time and I'm going to exercise control about what I eat. To the point this unbelievably great man is willing to take God's call upon his second son and pass it on to the one whom God has rejected. He's willing to bless Esau when God says, Esau, I hate. Think about it. The breach, how the enemy has breached in and got in, where you're willing to bless the one whom God hates and reject the one whom God loves. You know, the breach. So that's what the Bible is talking about. 
These are not simple things. These are serious things. So we take an inventory of our own walls of salvation and see, Lord, where are the walls down? Where is the breaches, Lord? You know what? Until you build it up, you are the builder. Unless the Lord builds, we labor in vain. I build with you, but you are the builder. Until you build it up, Lord, let me give, keep an armed guard over it. I need to be very, very, that we will come to armed guard. What is that armed guard? Go back to verse 13. Okay. Okay. I set the people according to their families. What is families? It's your support group. It's your prayer partner. It's your prayer team. They put them in families. Because why? Everybody has a stake in it. You call everybody to pray, they won't pray. But you call some people to pray, they will pray because they are concerned about you. They care for you. So he put them according to their families. There is a breach here and my house is here. You know what? I am very careful because if that fellow comes through, it is my house that will go first. There is a burden, there is a care. Okay, put them according to family. So next thing, with their swords, their spears, and their bows. The first thing is the sword. You know the length of a sword. My stick is here. Okay, my favorite stick. Okay, the length of a sword. None of you have ever handled the sword. I have many because Bhutan is full of swords. That's how they used to fight. You know. So this is practically the length of a sword. This is okay. But when it comes to the spear, it goes further. When it goes to the bow and arrow, it goes even more further. He says, how much are you willing to exert your energy, effort, your prayer, your fasting, your spiritual resources in fighting that breach in your spirit? You fast for 21 days for a promotion in your job. How come you never fasted 21 days to break that breach in your spirit? Because you do not value that's what Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17 and 18. Our weapons are mentioned over there. And there's one particular verse. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And verse 18, praying always with all prayer. There are all kinds of prayers. The prayers which are swords. The prayers which are spears. There are prayers which are javelins. There are prayers which are arrows. Okay? Arrows. What is a bow and arrow? That you don't even allow the enemy to come close. It's a preemptive strike. These are like the missile strikes of today. It's a preemptive strike. He says, I know my weakness. Before he comes anywhere close, I'm going to take him out. I'm taking him out. Okay. You know, you know yourself so well. You know yourself so well. So you take out the enemy before he comes anywhere close. You know your seasons. You know your mood swings. You know your this thing. And you know, okay, yeah, let me take it out before he gets. And that's what the Bible is saying. This is a real picture of spiritual battle, of spiritual fortification. We are not just studying a story, ancient story of somebody coming from Babylon to Jerusalem and building the walls. We are looking at how do I build my own walls. How do we build the walls of our homes? How do we build the walls of our churches? How do we build the walls of a nation? How do we build the walls of a nation? That's what God is saying. So don't forget the cause. Watch and pray. Be sober and alert and build. Okay? As I close, there's a beautiful, beautiful when you do these things, okay, when you do these things, you know what happens? Read Nehemiah 4.15. It's unbelievable. It's a 
beautiful thing. It still happens today. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had brought their plot to nothing. Then all of us returned to the wall and everyone to his work. They lost the advantage of a surprise attack because God revealed everything that was going to happen through the leader. And they were already ready. So they gave up the plan to attack and they continued building. Okay, this preemptive strike and revelation and all is from God. Okay, from God. So they continued building the wall. So you need to realize all these gifts of the Holy Spirit is given in the body. Exercise it, keep building, keep building. I am there with you, I am for you, but don't rely on your own strength. What am I building? God is building the life of his son. That's why he's very, very interested. He's building the life of his own child. Like, you know, when it is our own child, you know, what all we have done to teach. Like, let us say simple, like every morning when I come, next generation is here, cricket. What all do fathers and mothers do to teach them cricket early in the morning, carrying, waking, this thing. I did that for music for our children, no? carrying the keyboard on the side of the scooter, taking them, waking them, class, this thing. You know, how much we go so that we know our children need to be equipped. To, to be trained in things. What all we do, no parents do for coaching classes, this thing, that come. That's what. And God is even more zealous about building the life of his son in us. Because that life is the testimony. That's what he's building. That life is impregnable. You cannot defeat that life. My life can be defeated every day, all the time. Christ's life cannot be defeated. It's undefeatable. That's what God is building. That is the walls of my salvation, the life of Christ. That's the gates of praise, that he will go singing to the cross. He will minister on the cross. He will forgive on the cross. That's what God is building. So final illustration before we pray. In 1891, okay, I, I like that illustration. A man was killed in a railway accident, a railroad accident, okay, at a railway crossing. So the family of that man sued the railway company. Okay. And in the court case that was going on, the watchman, you know, the watchman of the, the railway gate, you know, he was the main guy. So the question that was asked was, were you on duty? Yes. Did you have a lantern? Yes. Did you wave the lantern as much as possible? Telling people not to cross. He said, as many times as possible, I waved. 12 times, 14 times, 20 times. So ultimately, the railroad company won the case that it was the mistake of the person who walked on the railway line and got hit by this thing, whatever it was. So case is gone over again. Then one of the railroad big guys met this watchman. And asked him this question. When you were in that dock and they were asking you questions, were you nervous? He said, yes, sir. I was very nervous. I was hoping they would never ask the next question. Was your lantern lighted? And they didn't ask that question. That's a question God is asking. You blew the trumpet. You built the wall. You did everything. Did you ever ask this question, what's the life of my son in you? What were you doing? Was there the life of my son in you? That was the light that could have saved the world. In him was life. That life was the light of man. At the end of the day, what are we doing? (laughs) We are watchmen on the walls. 
We are marching in the breaches. We are building it all. But at the end of the day, God will ask this question. Was there light in your lamp? Was there light in your work? Was the testimony of my son in what you did? If he didn't, he says, he still will come up to no avail. So don't forget these things. Okay? We will go words by words. Let it take a few years. It is okay. Okay. What we'll build, we'll understand, and the work will continue. You know? And there's no answer to the word of God. God's word is the answer. No. So there is a breach. There is a breach in our lives. We look into God and say, Lord, show me, Lord, where am I weak? What is that I'm so stubborn at saying no? I ask God, what has, or what have, I know my weakness and I know my stubbornness. These are two different things. So weakness is chocolate. Okay, not all chocolate. I don't need all chocolate. I need milk, lind. Okay, so it's very easy. I get lind once a year. Finish it all if in one day. So temptation is over. <laughs> you can fight that. Okay, Sammy got me some lind or not some white. It's still sitting in my fridge. I haven't dusted at all. It's still sitting in my fridge untouched. Okay, why? Because it is white chocolate made in Karachi bakery. I'm not going to eat that. <laughs> It's still sitting over there. Every day I think I need to take it out and give it to somebody. So certain weaknesses and temptations are very easy. You can easily handle it. It's not a big thing. Many of them can be easily handled. Okay. But our stubbornness is something else. Okay. Stubbornness. Like I was stubborn with God for years and years about waking in the morning. I'm not going to do. I'll sit up late in the night. I won't wake up in the morning. And finally he won. Now I understand what I wasted. <laughs> What a waste. What a waste of a life. 35 years. I'm not talking about one or two days. I'm talking about 35 years of my life. And never woke up in the morning. Okay. Never woke up in the morning. It's not a small thing. You look back and realize, oh my God, what did I miss by not waking up in the morning? It is such a wonderful time waking up early in the morning. 3.23 hours up this morning. You know, by the time your wife wakes up, you already got practically three and a half hours with the Lord. No disturbance, nothing at all. No distractions of the night also. It's early morning. But I missed all that. You know, I'm very stubborn. Absolutely stubborn about it. I ain't going to do it. And you will always come up with scriptures, midnight watches, and all kind of things. You know what God is telling you and you oppose it. With scripture. Ultimately, I'm spending the same amount of time. None of this worked with God. <laughs> okay, he won. So it can be anything. You're very, very stubborn about it. No, ask about it. weakness is one thing. Stubbornness is something else. And ask God, what am I? Come, baby. What am I stubborn about? What am I stubborn about? Okay, that becomes the breach in our spirit. And ask Lord, Lord, take that stubbornness away and make me strong where I am weak. Make me strong where I am weak and where I am stubborn, Lord. Break that stubbornness, Lord. Break that stubbornness. And we learn to pray with all prayer. We have to learn. We use the sword. We use the spear. We use the javelin. We use the arrow. We preempt the enemy. And you know what? God worked on their behalf. Because there was one man among them who was a discerning. And he pepped them up and said, we don't give up in the work of the Lord. And the enemy gave. Don't worry. He'll, the enemy will come back. He doesn't give up. The, his God is giving us time to build. So God is there for us. 
Okay, he will keep the enemy away, but after that the enemy will come in another form, but every time we have to be alert. Come, now pray. Father, with this morning we just come to you, Lord. We are learning lessons. We are not giving up. But these are spiritual things that we yes, build. Yes, yes. yes, for many who are listening, children have grown up, yes. they have gone, they are married, you have grandchildren. But you look back and you cry. God says, it's not over. It's a battle. You can still build back the lives. You still have power, authority in the spiritual realm as a parent. God still has it. And you can still fast. You can still pray. You can still break down the walls the enemy has built in the lives of your children or your grandchildren. Fight that good fight. Don't give up. For you, you never forget what you are fighting for. You are fighting for your home, for your household. Don't give up this fight. Don't give up this fight. This is a spiritual fight. What we are building is spiritual. Don't give up. So many people give up. We hear the the, the story of uh, what Sharon's daughter's name? Janice. How many years later she came back? How many tested 50 years later? Because the mother never gave up. And the child came back. And now he's saved, baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit. 50 years later. And now leading worship. How many testimonies we have heard? Children who just walked away, didn't hear for 10 years, 15 years, just came back. Because the parents refused to quit. They refused to quit. They stood there in the gap, the breach that was in the lives of their children. Day and night they watched and they were armed to the teeth with spiritual weapons. They prayed all kinds of prayers. They pleaded, they fasted, they cried, they bound, they loosened. One day, the child came back home. The home was restored. A church is restored. A nation is restored. Because there were few people who refused to give up. And that's what God is telling somebody, many today, do not give up. For God has not given up on anybody. God has not given up. Stand there in the breach. Be resilient. Know the ways of the enemy and keep building, keep building, keep building.